So, if you like this, you'll probably also like OTB AM, Ireland's only sports breakfast show. Subscribe to the OTB AM podcast stream or catch the show live on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook or offtheball.com every morning from 7.45 AM. Very good morning to you. Welcome along to Tuesday morning OTB AM. We're here until half nine this morning. Dahi Regan's going to join us. Alan Quinlan's going to join us. So we're obviously going to be talking hurling and rugby. A bit of a look back to the weekend's hurling. A bit of a look forward to what's coming up. Some of the major early storylines emerging after the first week. I mean, they're not that major. It's the first week of the league. You know what I mean. And uh, we'll obviously be talking about uh, the comments that have been splashed across the back and front pages of the sports sections this morning. That is the England defence coach, John Mitchell. What did he say, Owen? John Mitchell says uh, Ireland for me are a side that through their process which is uh, obviously a term used quite a lot regarding Ireland of being a well coached side are resilient and will try to bore the shit out of us basically and ultimately it will come down to a small piece of possession when you're not focused that can hurt you in a contest like this Yeah. so we're just going to put England to sleep at the weekend and uh, sneak on in and uh, finish them off which is a, a rather effective game plan I guess do you know what I, I only read this last night but um uh, in the build-up to the Rams and the New Orleans Saints, right? The game's on in the Superdome in New Orleans Saints and uh, in New Orleans, and it has a roof on it, right? And in the build-up to it, one of the Rams players was asked about whether or not the noise was going to be an issue. And he went, nah, that, that's not going to be a big deal for us at all. The Saints got that piece of video and played it in between every down. No way, I didn't yeah. know that. So, yeah, so he would, his face would come up and go, nah, it's not going to be a big deal for us at all. And the crowd would go completely mental. That's incredible. So I mean, it's genius. They actually riled their own supporters up. In the middle of the game, the head coach of the Rams is going, why the hell did he say that? And you're like, okay, so finally, this stuff in the build-up to a match, they've certainly, they've found a way to make that matter. And I wonder, I just wonder, is Joe Schmidt smart enough to make something out of John Mitchell saying, we're boring, we're going to bore the shit out of them? But I wonder, is John Mitchell right? You know, I've been thinking this morning... Have we been bored by our Irish over the, the past 12 months? And you know what? I think we have. I think it's been a pretty boring 12 months for Irish rugby. Like, you think about all the moments that have put me to sleep. Paris last year, Johnny Sexton's drop goal. Pretty boring moment. Scoring 20 tries in last year, Six Nations. Pretty boring moment. You know, Ireland slaloming through England, scoring three first half tries to win the Grand Slam in Twickenham. It's a pretty boring moment, I think, from, uh, from an Irish rugby perspective. Like watching Tyg Furlong become Wexford's answer to John Alomu over the past couple of years, it's been pretty boring from an Irish rugby perspective, I think. Like Devon Toner grabbing Brodie Ritalik and shoving him all the way back to, to Christchurch last year was extremely boring, I thought. Peter O'Mahony uh, defying physics to grab that interception at the Aviva was extremely boring. You could see Jacob Stockdale there a moment ago when he chipped the entire uh, All Blacks defence and uh, finished them off uh, in November. Also an extremely boring moment from an Irish rugby perspective. Like you start to think, when was Irish rugby not boring? And I've been doing a lot of research this morning, and I really think, I can't remember this, but you might be able to educate me on this. I think it was 1996 was the last time Irish rugby wasn't boring, because we were so bad. Got the wooden spoon in 1996. Uh, thanks mainly, I would say, to forwards coach John Mitchell, who was, uh, I would like to think, but took a good part of the responsibility of Ireland being extremely exciting, but of course, uh, getting the wooden spoon in, in 1996. Uh, I, I mean, it, it is a bit mad, isn't it? The, the week of a game, somebody saying this stuff, like... Uh, it's not. He's not enough of a character in people's consciousness for them to go. Oh yeah, okay. I'm, I'm really upset that you call me boring. That's like, if Eddie Jones had said it, right? You'd be like, oh, the little prick. Nah, I like it. With this, Jones. with this, it's like, okay, that's interesting. As in, it, it's kind of less deliberate. Well, it's like, 
Well, we're definitely going to shove that up your throat. Yeah. And pull it out your ass in the same movement with your entrails flowing off the back of it. Much like, uh, yeah, well, that's something that's been they've been doing voluntarily to themselves. Yeah, says Courtney Laws. He's been shoveling, uh, shoveling food down his throat. He said, uh, which is one of the other quotes that leaps off the back pages this morning. Uh, not directly saying it, but to me, I'm reading Courtney Laws' quotes, and he says he's put on like a stone of weight over the last few months uh, as a signifier to Johnny Sexton that I'm bigger, I'm badder, and I'm coming for you, Johnny. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he's eaten so much food that he's put himself into that position. Okay, all right. That's interesting. Um, I mean, it is, it is. Yeah, he's added more than a stone of muscle since November to ensure he's ready to impose himself in the physical confrontation. He's added a stone of muscle in three months. That's pretty impressive going. If I uh, eat as much as Courtney Laws, will I be able to put on a stone of muscle in the next month? Or could I go on the Courtney Laws diet and uh, put on a, a stone of muscle? In fairness to Courtney Laws, the percentage of one stone out of 19 versus, you, you know, it's like a lot more strenuous for you. Right. You might die. You're, you're getting my hopes up there. You might, you might get scurvy or something. <laughs> Let's tell you what's coming up on the show over the course of the rest of the morning. Uh, Alan Quinn is going to join us around about uh, 10 to 9 this morning. Uh, we'll take you through the sports pages with Darren. We'll talk about Dermot Connolly as well. Some interesting uh, thoughts and maybe a bit of nuance to the Dermot Connolly conversation coming your way. And then uh, there's a farce developing in Wexford Camogie. We'll talk about that around about half past eight this morning. Hurling with Di Regan around about uh, ten past eight. And we're going to take you through the sports pages right now. So, uh, here is the back page of the uh, Irish Independent. They'll try bore the shit out of us. S star star star. Uh, England coach Mitchell slams Ireland's style of play as tensions mount ahead of Six Nations opener. Tensions mount. Um, our aim is to win the Six Nations, but it's Ireland's now. And Ireland are arguably the best team in the world. And Ireland, for me, are a side that, though being a well-coached side, are resilient. I mean, resilience, it's like, it's the worst fame praise you're ever going to get. Oh, yeah, Ireland, yeah, they, they keep the ball, yeah, but they're really boring. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, there was a time when we were boring and this would have rung true, right? Like, two and a half seasons ago. As in, he's kind of missed a boat? Yeah. As in, a professional coach has failed to watch a team perform over the last 12 months? Certainly, his information appears to be out of date. Even though he's in the role uh, a wet week, generally speaking. September, I think he was appointed as England manager. Clearly hasn't watched Ireland play. When we won the... Um, there was a championship we won a couple of years back and everybody's complaining that we won it without being very creative. No offloads, no line breaks. Remember that year? Yeah, uh, and that was also the real criticism of us after 2015. It wasn't just... Um, the idea of depth and the idea of creating numerous people in different positions, there was also huge question marks over Ireland's play. But I think that was more down to the fact that we were watching Argentina, who had a really nice style of play, and uh, New Zealand's killing, say, France, wasn't it, in the semi or the quarterfinal, or the semi final that year, with just numerous offloads. And it was like, why can't we do that? Yeah, and it turns out we can. Um, and we probably need to do a bit more of it as well. Uh, Zebo shocked by cold, blunt Ireland exit. So Simon Zebo doing press yesterday. Uh, I knew what was going to happen, but I didn't think it would be as blunt and cold as it has been. I knew I was going, so it's not that big of a shock. But in terms of how blunt and cold, it was a little bit. I mean, do you want your international head coach to be cold and blunt, or do you want them to? Because they've got to make hard decisions. So is this is this an enhancer of Joe Schmidt's reputation? Is it just like we knew that he was cold and blunt and? There's like a private Josh Schmidt and a public Josh Schmidt, and that's how you get to be the best coach in the world? Well, I'm sure there is a, a kind and caring element of Joe Schmidt in his professional capacity as well. Like, 
I'm sure that that's part of how he gets into the minds of some of the players, and some of the players probably uh, kind of uh, are more uh, stick people than car people. So I, I don't know. Like sometimes, if, if you're making tough decisions, you kind of wish you had a bit more of the, the cold, ruthless killer in you. And I'm sure uh, Joe Schmidt has that cold and ruthless side in abundance. So yeah, like it, it, it all just paints a picture of a man that once again it seems as he's the guy you want on your side. Uh, Ross silent on. Board limits, so this is about the FAI. Uh, Shane Ross has referred any questions about the FAI's decision to um, expand the amount of time that you can be a member of the um, board. Uh, so ultimately you could end up doing 14 years. Neymar injury boost United, we talked about that on the show yesterday. Um, they've helpfully gone through the weights of the back three players. And uh, England have definitely got the heaviest back three. But Jacob Stockdale is the... no. Second, third highest weight, 15 stone, 13 pounds. So he's nearly 16 stone, Stockdale. He's going to go when he gets his man strength, isn't he? <laughs> uh, so the front cover of the uh, Irish Examiner sports section this morning, the Boer War. Great picture of uh, John Mitchell. His head silhouetted there. He, he, he went viral on Instagram recently, didn't he? Did he? What did he? He was the most liked photo of all time. That egg. Uh, what? Do you not see that the the egg that was the most liked uh, Instagram oh. photo of all time? Uh, so John Mitchell does have another uh, feather in his cap. Uh, McGrath's Ulster doctrine: treat them as people first, player second. That's my quirks column today. My quirk always worth reading as well. And um, the Wexford Camogie decision or uh, story is covered in the Examiner too. We'll talk about that a little bit later on for you. The Irish Times, their sports section today. It's uh, a Ronan O'Gara interview. Uh, Gar optimistic spy threat from Farrell and Pack Power. So they've got two pages of uh, rugby preview, and they also have um, page GA and some previews for tonight's football as well. Fitzgerald says referees being put under undue pressure. So um, the Wexford manager says Ryan sending off at a massive bearing in the game. Yeah, we'll talk about the referees and those decisions a little bit later on with uh, Dahi Regan and uh, Jack Kennedy talking about um, <coughs> Apple's Jade. No problem going back to. Uh, two miles for the first time since losing to Irving in the 2016 Fighting Fifth, but uh, runs over that distance in the BHP Insurance Irish Champion Hurdle on Saturday at the Dublin Racing Festival. Back page of the Sun this morning is I can't face football. Cardiff boss could quit over Salah tragedy. Neil Warnock speaking ahead of their Arsenal game tonight uh, about the tragedy of Emiliano Salah and uh, the disappearance of the aircraft. Uh, so he's been saying that he's uh, been considering leaving his, his role as manager of uh, Cardiff City. Uh, United need trophies as well is the other story in the back of the sun. Top four is not enough. Uh, Chelsea and Ollie's way, they were drawn against each other in the next round of the FA Cup last night. Back page of the mirror is back at a rate of knots. Keane makes swift return to the game as O'Neill's number two at former club Forest. And you've also got that John Mitchell story on the back page of the mirror this morning. Uh, the Irish Daily Star goes with Ollie's pop at Poch. Solskjaer and United always won silverware. Not sure if that's uh, such a big pop. And uh, Horn may be grilled on hike. This is one to keep an eye on this afternoon. So President John Horn is going in front of the Shannon Committee. He's set to discuss the important role the GEA has played in the civic life in Ireland. It wouldn't be like senators to, you know, try and make a big name for themselves by asking John Horn tough questions this afternoon. Popcorn out, a rock to start IE yeah, this afternoon to see uh, the, the grilling, or maybe not a grilling that he well, does. Really? Is it more like likely... If only I could get some tickets from you. Uh, well, there you know, is that. You no, know, we haven't forgotten the grilling. That's like the uh, whatever that committee was. Was it the finance committee? 
Remember they gave them they, the all of the various heads of the bodies were in, and they all took the time to talk long and hard about their own volunteer. And you know, loath as they are to talk about their own lives, these politicians needed to remind us all about how great they were in their own lives. And then a few questions about tickets, jokes, but like not really jokes. Maria, it's like oh, I haven't asked you any questions about their finances or anything that's important. So I don't know. More of the same. Back page of the Herald is Roy's Forest Challenge. Keenan O'Neill reunited as City's Grounds Dream Team and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer there again saying that Manchester United are all about the trophies. Is Roy Keane going to make it? Is it too late to make it? As a solo manager? Yeah. Good question. The idea of him making it now uh, as a solo manager due to what he does as an assistant manager I would say is still a live possibility. But the thing is what do they need to achieve at Nottingham Forest and it's probably promotion, isn't it? Next season. Like is the, if, so Forest have had a massive churn of managers, right? So it looks like you know the average length of time that you're going to get there, ten months, say, right? Um, unless it goes well, in which case, if it goes well, you would hope that. So they're starting in January. They'll get the whole off season. They'll get to start next season well. And say it goes well, say it goes perfectly, and they finish second, and they end up getting promoted next year, which would be a dream scenario, right? Like they're going straight up to the Premier League then. And they're coming straight back down, unless there's a massive infusion of tens of millions, as we've seen, really. So at that, and that's the point where they get fired the following Christmas, even though if they've taken the team up, more, more or less, that's like best case scenario. And how does he stand out? How does he establish himself here as somebody who has been centrally involved? Like what happens here to turn Keane into a viable contender for a job the size of the Forest job or the size of any of those championship clubs that? you would now think of him as a contender for. Like, is it not a case of just being the assistant manager at a team that's got promoted for the first time in a long, long time? Does that not bring your stock up? Like, I'm not saying that he's going to get a Premier League job. Of course he's not. But if he's an assistant manager with Mark O'Neill and they end up getting promoted, granted it is best-case scenario, he would have to be in the conversation for championship jobs, mid-to-lower-table championship jobs. And I know that's back to where he started as a manager once again. That's where he picked Sunderland up. But... I think uh, he'd probably take that at a certain point when, when Ireland were nosediving as he did over the last 12 months. Yeah. Or do you think he really believes that he should be going into a Premier League managerial role? Like, I, I don't think he believes that because... I just... Yeah. I, I don't. I think that, um, like, it's very hard for you to establish yourself. It's not like the Ireland situation where there would be three press conferences and he's an Ireland legend and so he is going to draw media. How much media is he going to do for a start? Does he have to give up his punditry? Like, does, does Roy Keane disappear now and not become anybody who is seen except as part of the backroom team? Maybe. I don't know. Like, being part of a backroom team in the Premier League isn't exactly a, a low-profile gig. It's pretty low-profile. I'm trying to think of the countless uh, managers that have high-profile assistants. I'm like... Um, like, you look at someone like Mike Phelan, kind of, uh, as a prolific enough assistant manager. He's never going to get another head coaching job. No, but he did. He did get that job. Granted, it was, it was, it was with Hull in the championship and managed. But that, that's the level I'm saying that Roy Keane will get a job at. He, he was coming from... Like, an unbelievably high-powered job. Of course he was. But like, Roy Keane's coming from a much high-powered place in terms of the previous celebrity stature of him. Like, I, 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 I do think the fact that Roy Keane is one of the most famed Premier League players of all time will definitely count for something in terms of... It's not just... I look at that anonymous guy on the bench. I think Cambridge will pan towards the bench a lot more often. He will kind of be in the spotlight a lot more often. 
football focus will ask to speak to the Roy Keane just as much as they will sit down with Martin O'Neill. Like, granted, we're all speaking in, in hypotheticals here. This is all if they get to the Premier League. Oh, I'm not disagreeing I, with you that a system manager in the Championship is, is I think not the most, near that. The most likely outcome is that they're, they're not capable of breaking the habits of Forest's last two decades and somehow rescuing the club because it's very difficult to do. Like, and it doesn't look like they're going to have the funds that would automatically give you an advantage and even then loads of teams have spent loads of money and like you see Scott Hogan today um, on the verge of leaving Villa Villa spent 9 million on him they're not going to get anything back from him like they're asking somebody to take his wages and there's no reason why anybody would take his wages because he'd one streak of goal scoring and that was it uh, so I don't know I just it, it's possible that this is the end of the the line for Keenan O'Neill unless they do something miraculous mm, it seems that way uh, the front page of the Daily Telegraph sports section is I'm still in love with cricket it's our Everton Weeks on page 8 it's an exclusive and Shattered Warnock I feel, felt like quitting uh, Cardiff City manager admitting uh, the Salah plane tragedy has left him unable to sleep and needing counselling along with several of his players and he's on the back page of the Guardian as well this morning the worst week of my career he says and the other story here is an exclusive about David Heitner saying Chelsea's transfer blues ban fears over more than 100 possible youth signing breaches so Chelsea are set to hear from FIFA whether or not they're going to be banned from the transfer market. They're being investigated over potential rule breaches with, more, with regard to more than 100 foreign players uh, being signed under the age of 18. OK, let's have a look at the Irish news for you this morning. So, uh, Ronan McNamee, clarity needs brought up to the mark. That's him talking about the uh, offensive mark. I mean, I guess there's no clarity possible, really, until they decide either to go with it or not to go with it. Or to have it for a year or two. Right or is, is, he, is he talking about clarity with regards to the rule being brought in or not, or is he uh, talking about clarity with regards to the twenty meter kicking? Um, so good question, Owen. I'm, I'm not sure. Probably one Mac- of us has fully read the uh, Irish News back page this morning. McNamee's quotes are actually very interesting this morning. Uh, quite, I, I like. I'm a big fan of sarcasm, and uh, his uh, sarcastic dig at uh, Kerry, I must admit, is is quite good. Like, if I can find it here, like while, while I'm looking for this, we might actually uh, show you a couple of pictures from two of the great uh, sideline cuts uh, over the course of the weekend. Uh, we'll go to the, to, um, to the Monaghan game, first of all. Uh, Jack Brady, uh, with this particular effort. Um, we're now, we're going to do the, the Kerry one first. We're going to do the Kerry one first, yeah. Sean O'Shea. Um, so here's Stephen McCarthy with Sports with the shot of the weekend. Shot, 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 shot. This is, pay attention, kids. This is how they made animation back in the day. Um, and then you can just see the celebration. Yeah, it's just a guttural, a loud guttural. Ah, it's not bad. You can see that the pitch is kind of cutting up and it's winter, winter turf. Will he be able to do it from the halfway line? No. Yes, one day. Will he? I mean, why is that the 40? That's the 40. Like, it's good accuracy, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an unbelievable effort. That's, um, that's class. Brilliant shot as well. Tommy uh, was making the point uh, that he thought Jack Brady from Cavan kicked a better one at the weekend um, in Cavan's defeat to go away. Closer into the goal, tighter angle outside of the right. I think the distance in that one gives it a bit of, um, bit of an edge. Sean O'Shea's, I think. Yeah, the, being, that, uh, being that far out. Um, I have found the, um, the, the McNamee quotes that really jumped off the page to me this morning. Uh, he talks about uh, Kerry's defensive system and says, it's normally the Ulster teams that supposedly go at it that way, but sure, it's probably quarterbacks, not sweepers, that they have playing. <laughs> and I still think there probably was a surprise to see them playing like that because you know how it's painted, a different picture. Football down there compared to up here. We just had to adapt to it, and it took us a wee while longer than we wanted. To be fair, they did pack it out pretty well. It was very, very hard to break down. We tried to get the ball across a few times, 
and with a wayward kick pass here or there, you were intercepted and on the way back straight away. They played the game well so that they sucked us in, dispossessed us, and then caught us on the counter-attack. They did that numerous times in the first half. Um, so uh, that's uh, Ronan McNamee on uh, Kerry's back of defence, but no sweepers for Kerry quarterbacks. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? Yeah, great, great quarterbacks. You know, it's the crazy uh, perception that everything that um, Kerry does, just beaming with glitter like a unicorn, everything that Tyrone does is like dark and nasty and dangerous. Mm, pretty, pretty accurate. It's exactly, it's, it's the way the world is meant to be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the difference between a quarterback and a sweeper, what, what is the difference? One, one wears a carry jersey, one wears a throne jersey. To be fair, I don't know who's ever said that uh, sweeper is a quarterback. Oh, yeah, which sure isn't... Um, don't uh, Dublin not have a sweeper, they play a quarterback. Keno Sullivan's a yeah, quarterback. exactly, yeah. Keno Sullivan is, uh, should have a brush in his hand, he's that much of a sweeper. There's no, there's no way you can describe a sweeper as, as a quarterback because there's not, they're not actually the creative influence behind any of the attacks, which is... Uh, it's not their job, though. Like, uh, just, and I'm not even de- playing devil's advocate here, but it's not actually their job when they break stuff up to pass the ball forward, to set things in motion. Yeah, well, they set Kieran Kilkenny in motion, who then tries to find the actual killer pass. You could describe Kieran Kilkenny's role as more quarterback-like than Keno Sullivan's. I, I, I don't think anybody, and this, this goes for Kerry as well, I don't think anybody who's playing as, as a sweeper can possibly be, be described as a quarterback. Uh, Stephen Cluxon, obviously, he's probably more of a quarterback than any of the sweepers are, and even then I'd have uh, my doubts about describing any goalkeeper as a quarterback. Uh, yeah. Like, I guess... When Stephen Cluxton and Roy Began go over the top, then they're in full quarterback mode because they can sometimes kickstart an attack. Began can go quarterback from the tee. Uh, it's too random. It, it just feels like it's uh, unstructured at that point. But I mean, I'd like to see them. It probably isn't unstructured. I'm sure they've got loads of set plays where it's like, okay, there's nobody ahead of you, go. But, um, but the point isn't to set an attack up. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, all right. Let's move on because... Um, what are we doing? Yeah, okay, so the Dublin Racing Festival last week, uh, uh, this weekend, is the Dublin Racing Festival. Last week we had a very special show in the Sugar Club for you, an amazing guest list, um, Johnny Ward and John Duggan, Kevin Caban, myself, got the opportunity to sit down with uh, Rachel Blackmore and Paddy Mullins. Uh, we also had Davey Russell and Nicky English were there as well. So here's some stories from the night, uh, you can hear particularly from Rachel Blackmore and Nicky English in this clip, have a look. I remember being at Tipperary for one of the meetings during the summer and she wrote a gambled on winner for uh, this man's father on the flat and then she won the big hurdle race the same day uh, and I was like, this is absolutely extraordinary and stuff like that should be on the news that night that somebody can do that. Not, not to mind that she's a pioneer in terms of female jockeys, that she's mixing flat and jumps and riding five furlong races on Dundalk and then riding a three mile chase the following day. That's, that's incredible for a jockey, first off. Mm, exactly, exactly. And yeah. I think like racing is one of those rare sports where gender is becoming completely irrelevant. Like. Well, it's the only sport where men and women race on equal footing. It's like the, the, the one thing I will take her up on is that when the French brought in the rule about um, you know, a female allowance, I remember saying it to you and you're like, I would take anything going that would help me. And I was just like, I don't want this to come in at all because I think it's, it's almost saying like you're inferior and I don't think you are. You're saying like I, I spent most of my life chasing Nina and Katie around the bumpers. So why would you give them an extra four pound? Like, no. Kind of what I, I think what I meant was if, if view, they want to give it to me, like, I'm going to take it. I'm not going to be like, I don't want your four pounds. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going to take it. Like. <laughs> <laughs> what was the worst injury you got? Um, uh, again it was my own fault but I went when, when I started off 
um, in uh, 1982, I, I went to block down someone. I, I really wasn't that experienced, and I just took the ball, and I took the full force of the hurley straight up here, and uh, it did a lot of damage, really, to be honest. The time he done the most damage was when he was cycling a bicycle with his wife. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And her shoe got caught in the spokes, and he was out over the front of it. And it That's a fact. We were, we were at a, a function. Uh, so Davy, Davy and I were at a function for Dr. Con Murphy, who's been the Cork doctor for, since 1976, yeah. last Saturday night. And uh, so Dr. Con was my doctor since I was in UCC, and uh, he's looked after me in hurling terms for a long time. But the first time he ever stitched me was when... Uh, Shortly after I met my new girlfriend, now wife, and we were cycling down a hill in Cork, and she was on the bar of the bike. You never see that anymore, obviously, either. <laughs> and for whatever reason, she no helmets. her leg went back into no the nose. He- we didn't wear helmets playing Orland, we were already going to wear So I went straight. I, w- I was catapulted out over onto the road, and <laughs> so Dr. Khan fixed me up for the first time and not for the last time. So. Head over heels. <laughs> yeah. You can get that full stuff uh, on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash off the ball. And if you still want to head along to the Dublin Racing Festival, you can get tickets at leprestown.com as well. Niall um, Moonen says, I remember the 80s and 90s. This is glorious rugby now. Straight over Niall's head was um, own sarcasm a little bit earlier on. Irish rugby so boring, says uh, Brino McNamara, who gets exactly what you're doing. And poor Gary says, Chris Farrell is better than Aki. Never mind Henshaw. Farrell 12, Henshaw 15. A scary backline right there. We can talk a bit about this because um, the news had come through that while Rob Kearney was playing for Leinster, Robbie Henshaw was playing uh, for the Ireland training team at fullback. Mm. Not impossible to think that he's thinking of bringing his four centres and Henshaw is the auxiliary fullback. Because everybody's gone, oh, Will Addison, he's the, he's the guy, he can play anywhere. Yeah. But actually, we now have a lot of players who can play anywhere. And if Henshaw can play fullback, then. Um, Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, like it's much easier to say we have X and Y uh, available in all these different positions when you're compiling a 31-man squad for a World Cup. When you're actually in the match day situation and you get a couple of injuries and you've only got your 23 people to pick from, then that versatility uh, within a a number of of players is such a a crucial thing. And Robbie Henshaw obviously brings the element of fullback. Has he ever, I don't think he's ever played fullback for Ireland, but he, he did it for Connacht, right? A couple of times? Uh, like the thing is what do you lose when Henshaw leaves the 12 jersey um, and somebody else is in there it turns out turns out not a loss uh, in, in terms of the the kind of um, collective downfall from what we saw in November isn't a, a whole drop off like for me personally if there is a number 15 who is who, who's cemented into position which, uh, which Rob Kearney has been for some time maybe not anymore then I think Robbie Henshaw is your first choice number 12 but to get the best out of your entire team, and if Robbie Henshaw is our second best 15, or perhaps when it comes to form, a better place to actually take the 15 jersey, then maybe as a, as a collective, as a, as a 1 to 15, the team actually might be a better place to have Aki Ringrose and Henshaw all on the, on the pitch at once. Yeah, well, it's certainly worth looking at, isn't it? And this is your last chance to have a proper look at it. Yeah, like, the, the, well, that is the thing. You don't want to be discovering this in a, a World Cup quarterfinal. Actually, you know what? He hasn't had enough time there, and it's not the right decision, whereas somebody else who has played or is playing week in, week out there, much better. What do you think is Joe Schmidt's thoughts on the experimentation uh, possibilities of the Six Nations? Honestly, I don't think he's going to do that much at all. I'd say there'll be a few bits and pieces here and there. 
a few combinations. But because if you think back, there are definitely times when Schmidt picks teams that look on the face of it. If you look back to the team that travels to America to play New Zealand, like when that team was named, good judges said, oh, he's throwing this game, he's trying to win next week's game. And I was like, that might make a bit of sense. And then they actually played and won. You're like, okay, this is a bit of a, this is a, bit of a change. So he he's obviously sees stuff that looks like it's experimental, but they've been trying it out for months and months, and then it appears on the pitch, and oh, you haven't seen that before. So I don't know. Like, um, will we see new combinations? Yes. Will he think they're experimental? Probably not. I can't see anybody. I can't see anybody making the type of Stockdale burst from fringe player, promising youngster to starter in the Six Nations. I don't see that happening. No fringe player to starter is possible. Like you don't. He doesn't have youth on his side. And he's been mentioned quite a bit, but Will Addison is certainly in that mould of someone who you would not be surprised if he started a World Cup game. A World Cup game that mattered, like I'm talking Japan, Scotland or a quarter-final. I'd be surprised. Yeah? Yeah, I think, I think there has to be a lot of injuries for that to happen. I, I, think, I, I think Will Addison has the 23... I think he's a front-runner for the 23 jersey at the moment. And it's only one more step up the ladder to actually get that starting spot. All right. Let's move on because uh, Tommy Walsh turning our attention to hurling. Tommy Walsh threw out his Ireland favourites to Owen last Thursday morning right here on OTBAM. He doubled down on them again last night with Joe. Have a look. Did I uh, hear rightly that you reckon Waterford are going to win the All-Ireland? Yeah, um, listen, you know, like, obviously it's very difficult to predict it, but yeah, I do, I'm a hunch for, for it was before last weekend, Waterford and Clare, um, and Waterford to, to nudge it. Well, you know, now listen, as I said, it could be any of one of probably nine teams, but mm. that's where my hunch goes. For The, the reason for it is, is it's such a short summer last year um, and they were decimated by injuries in that Munster kind of league championship type type format. Mm. So it was, it was kind of like a written off year really from the minute that started. So just with a new manager, usually with a new manager, we already have seen it with Tipperary. We've seen it go off for the weekend. They kind of nearly get a new lease of life because everyone is out to impress and everyone believes they have a chance. Mm. So, mm. And they have the hurlers because we've seen what they did about two or three years ago in the Under-21 Championship, Joe, where you know, they obliterated nearly every team in it. There was, there was very little close matches. So, yeah, I, I have a hunch. But as I said, like, any one in nine teams could, could, could do it. But yeah, I'll go with Waterford. Yeah, any one in nine teams. That's why it is a properly exciting championship. Dahi Regan, good morning to you. How are you doing? The very best, gentlemen. How are you? Very well, very well. Um, what do you think of Waterford's chances? Uh, new manager, first season. Is there something in that? Well, there'll be certainly a fresh impetus, but I, I, I think a lot of it, at the end of the day, is going to revert back to the style of play. Because I think um, you will not win an All-Ireland final if you play uh, a spare defender. I think that's been proven over the last number of years. So a lot will depend on it. I think it must be acknowledged what Derek McGrath did when he came in because Waterford were been perceived at that stage as a team who were going to drop from the top echelons pretty much down and cast adrift of everybody else. So what Derek did was <clears throat> he created a stability within Waterford and made them very, very effective in the way that they hurled, made them very competitive and made them a threat in a time scale a hell of a lot quicker than anybody thought Waterford were going to get to. So Derek McGrath deserves immense credit for what he did from that perspective. However, for Waterford to win an All-Ireland final, things must evolve within how they actually play. That's the only question mark. So we can't take in isolation their victory at the weekend as any indicator. No more than we can win any of the other games the weekend because one game is not a trend or doesn't set a trend. One game must be taken in isolation. We must be patient and we must watch over a period of time the trends that occur with different teams 
over three, four and five, six games of the National League. It's not a bad shout from the perspective they're a dark horse. I don't think right this minute they deserve to be put into the echelons of genuine contenders ahead of the current All-Ireland champions, the previous year's All-Ireland champions and the previous year's to that All-Ireland champions. I wouldn't contend that, but I think it's a good shout for an outside bet. Okay, so uh, Limerick and Galway and Tip? Limerick, Galway and Tip, unquestionably for me, yeah. Yeah. Are Kilkenny anywhere close to them? Yes, they are. Closer than I would have get, would have said at this time last year. Uh, National League champions, very unlucky to uh, to lose to the ultimate ultimately the All Ireland champions. So again, if you're to take it in relation to Brian Cody, I held very strongly the view with all the Kilkenny retirements in a short period of time that it was a certainty that uh, there was going to be a period that was going to ensue where Kilkenny were going to endure a barren period of time. For me, <clears throat> the issue was not the amount of players they were going to lose. The critical aspect was that Cody stayed because the new players he was going to bring into the ranks were going to understand the ethos and the core of what makes Kilkenny great. Now, if it had been somebody else without his demanding demeanour as a manager, new players coming in may not have attuned themselves to the level of expectation that Brian has for what a top-class inter-county team requires so to that level he has made them ultra competitive in a very short time span considering all the changes so yes Kilkenny are genuine contenders again I, the other thing that was important was that enough of that old core of players are still there or thereabouts to be able to just show everybody what the standards that Cody expects but what they expect as, as players and teammates as well yeah I totally agree I mean within the dressing room dynamic there are leaders and great leaders within that dynamic who are used to winning and then are started to go through, through bad periods. These are winners. These are guys that want to get back winning as soon as possible. So they're like Cody's lieutenants in the dressing room because privately they speak when the manager isn't there. And what greater bunch of players could you have than the likes of, of Walsh and Reed and guys like that, Fenley? To be able to say to these young fellas, you're now... Kilkenny senior hurler. These are the demands of a Kilkenny senior hurler. This is what's expected of you. And if you don't ship up to it, you'll answer to us as well as to the gaffer. So you're absolutely correct to point that out. It's critical, Ger. Here's uh, Brian Cody speaking with Oisin Langan after Kilkenny's win at the weekend against Cork. Have a look. Brian Cody, Kilkenny manager. That's a good start to the Alliance League in 2019. Yeah, no, it was. The performance was decent and obviously the result was what we were hoping to get as well. But it was, the attitude was very, very good all through the field, I thought, and a lot of players acquitted themselves very well. Your half-back line was on top for most of the game, but kind of provided the platform for you, didn't it? Yeah, no, it was decent. The three lads played well. They're three good lads. You know, there was not massive experience with any of them, really, but they showed that they have the required ambition and, and, and honesty to, to try and, and get to that level. You showed as well that you're able to kind of pick teams apart with short moves, and when you needed to, you went long today as well. I look, I mean, it's, you've got to play the game that's in front of you, like, and the players have to use their instinct. They're not <clears throat> going out told the to most of this, the most of that. They have to play what's in front of them and, and make the right decisions with the ball. And, you know, they have to be trusted to do that, and they did it well. What specifically are you looking for at this time of year? Actually, really, at this time of year, you're looking at attitude and, and the way they approach the thing and the fact that they just go about it and just go and play, you know. But attitude is huge, really, you know, because 
you know, if that's not right, everything else is wrong. And it's a trip to Ennis next down to Clare. It's a bit of a trip down to Clare right next <laughs> week, so we'll see how that goes. Um, what about injuries? Richie Hogan initially in the squad this week, but wasn't in the end. Yeah, yeah. What's his situation? Just a bit of tightness in the back, you know, so we're not going to take any chances with him, so we'll have to see how he is for next week. Happy with the start? Happy enough, yeah. Cheers, Brian. Cheers, One quick point about this before we leave. Um, we haven't seen Richie Hogan fully fit and free from injury for a while, and it's like... It's a real pity for anybody who loves hurling because, you know, one more season or two more seasons of Richie Hogan injury-free would be the type of thing that uh, would help cement his legacy as one of the best hurlers of his generation, but also give us something to marvel at for two more years. Well, the opposition may not marvel at him because he's destroyed so many teams over the years. I would agree with you, Ger. It's been fantastic watching him over the years. I think he's been one of the most skillful players uh, we've had in the country in the last 15 years. I do expect we'll see him in championship, and I do expect all going well, we'll see him pretty much injury-free. I think he's a guy who's made it quite clear over the last couple of years that he acknowledges he's coming towards the latter end of his career, and he's basically training now as a professional player, and his job allows him to do that, and good luck to him. He deserves the opportunity to wind it down in the way that he sees fit. So I think with that kind of mining of himself and that kind of medical conditioning and mental conditioning that he's going to have, I think we will see a good year out of him yet. Unless it's injuries that just take its toll and medical advice is you're not going to return to the levels that you were. Because he's a player that needs to be firing at 100%. When he's at 100%, he's one of the best in the country. I wanted to talk to you about a tip on Saturday night, Dahi. It seems that just looking at them immediately, there is already signs of more of a plan in place from a Tipperary perspective, that there is more of a structure and that their team makes a little bit more sense than it did at times in last year's championship in particular. Oh, the only thing, again, we, 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 must, we must caution in relation to so early in the year. I mean, within 10 days previous, Clare had beaten them comprehensively in Waterford Crystal. Mm. And there was murmurs from people that work in this place as well from Tipperary that, oh, that's a bad start. I mean... This time last year, Tipperary had started well. Tip had got to the league final. And, you know, you can't define Tip after one game. Yes, it was impressive. There's no doubt about that. But we started to look at Tipperary after the league final last year as is, is, is the house of cards collapsing around them. Now, you could say after five or six games last year, there was a trend. And proximity to the championship definitely was a concern. So no more I caution the same now that, yes, it's the first game, but let's take it in isolation. But... Let's look at it over a period of time. You were always going to get a bounce uh, when Liam arrived back in. Now, as well as that, Tipperary have a whole setup, a whole structure. If you even look at the, uh, the sponsors of the team and their involvement with Liam and the role they're going to play, this Tipperary team are going to be as well prepared as any. They're going to have a management structure. There's going to be no lack of backup there whatsoever. So what that does, it creates a situation for the players immediately, that you train and you play to your optimum levels, you will want for nothing. Still, not every county has that. So a fully structured Tipperary with the ability of players that's there, they're a serious proposition this year. And who is their best full-back? Uh, Paddy Marr, in my view. Paddy Marr, and I've said it last year, uh, and I, I hear people suggesting, you know, it's a travesty taking him out of half-back line. To me, he's the best fullback. To me, he's arguably will be proven to be the best fullback in the country this year. I think he's a, he's a superb athlete. And I think there was difficulties there in that fullback line last year and similarly the previous year. And if you have a player that fills a pivotal role like number three, well, to me, you put him there. And then you build from there up. People often say you take number six and you build from there up. Hurling's changed. It's a different game nowadays. You know, 
goals win games at the end of the day and someone like that on the edge of the square is is a rock and uh, I think he's going to persevere with him there to be honest with you I think he should do I think it's well it's well worth looking at Okay, because it, it certainly has been a, a move in, um, on the Heritage Show last year. Shane Stapleton would have made the point that you need you need your best athletes at fullback because that's frequently where the best athletes are for the opposition. Obviously, uh, midfield halfbacks there's a lot of running, but the the speed guys, the ones who are able to that short area quickness, the ones who are, are having a burst, are frequently the ones that the opposition are putting on the edge of the square. And to to nullify that, you can you know can feel like you're sacrificing quite a lot, but ultimately. If you're, you know, conceding huge amounts, you're going to lose games. Well, an example of that, and I, I would agree with Shane on that. An example of that is the All Ireland final, Kilkenny and Tip three years ago, where Shamey Callanan basically did what they liked, what he liked. Tip looked to create a lot of space. JJ was no longer there, so all of a sudden the shackles were thrown off Shamey Callanan. He was given loads of space. So when you give a player of that caliber a lot of space, and you isolate space all around them, and you withdraw your half forward line. Obviously, the indication is there. We want our best man up there, and we want space, and we believe he'll do the damage. And he did the damage. Now, you similarly t- turn that coin on the flip side, and you say, Kilkenny decide to put TJ Reid isolated on the edge of the square. Well, who would you like on him if you're Tipperary? To me, Paddy Maher, all day long. If you're going to have a brilliant inside forward line, and you create space around him, for all the reasons you've suggested, Ger, you need somebody that's outstanding that's able to contain it. And I believe he's the man that can do that. I know I'm going to kind of double back down on uh, Kilkenny here again, but it seems that Brian Cody has made a big effort in, in terms of locking down that number three jersey, and it seems that Hugh Lawler is picked it up for the time being. I'm not sure what you've seen of Hugh Lawler Dahi, but uh, I think when he, regardless of how good he is, if he can hold down that jersey, it kind of frees up the legs of Park Welsh to get out the field a bit more, which is kind of a win-win from a Kilkenny perspective. Yeah, well, I'd agree with you. Uh, for the simple reason, I think Walsh has done an outstanding job there, but... I've looked at him the last couple of years thinking, I'd love to have you out right half back because, you know, he's like Tommy in many respects and that he's such a dynamic player. He's, he's brilliant to watch. He's just full of, full, of, full of goal, great speed, loves to attack, very good in the air, just a swashbuckling-like type of player. He'll score points from you from out the field as well. And I've always thought if Kilkenny could nail down at number three, well, then it releases him and it strengthens things for them. So, again, I revert back to the point. Lawler is young, he's given his opportunity. So let's just wait, let's give the guy an opportunity and let's see how things develop over the league. I am sure Brian Cody is looking to tailor in three or four positions to cement down with some young fellas. Let's forget, not forget Kelly three or four years ago against Offaly was going to town and we all thought this is a new Kilkenny forward that he seems to bring in every couple of years that all of a sudden we've never heard of before and now maybe this is his year to make it. That's the way Cody operates. It's a little bit early. Let, let's judge him at the end of the league. Brian will judge him at the end. Of, Brian may very well judge him after three or, or four and say, that's my man or that's not my man. We'll know, we'll know after a set period of games. Can I ask you about the, the um, Limerick start to uh, the league campaign? We were all wondering exactly how well they were going to deal with being All-Ireland champions. But when you, you look at the interviews and you, you listen to what the, the team were saying, when you see anything that that management team have done, you realise that, like... It, not that winning and losing isn't, isn't something that affects them, but that it, it's not the thing that defines them, that this is just a continuation of what it was that they were anyway already. And that sounds a bit weird and a bit airy-fairy, but you know what I mean? That like, I they, do, Ger, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't look like it's gone to their heads. Yeah, I, it's really interesting you're raising that point because I don't think we've had to contend with All-Ireland champions over the last, God, I can't remember how long, that so much talk has been about how grounded they are. 
how focused they are, how it hasn't changed them, how they haven't been defined by winning. They've been defined by the people that they are and how they are responding to this win. So I've been very intrigued to, to, to look at this from afar as to how Limerick are handling this. And, and on the basis that I was believing what I was hearing, I was pretty confident that we're going to win. Not that I, I was disregarding Wexford, but I just thought these are all Ireland champions who really, really want more, who are grounded, who have parked it, who have had their enjoyment, who have embraced what it's done for them as people, that it'll always be with them for the rest of their lives. But it doesn't define you. You now move on. So it speaks volumes that, number one, there's a fantastic management structure behind these players that can keep them grounded. Number two, they went into the Bears pit last Sunday because Wexford under Davy with the All-Ireland champions visiting would have would have afforded them the due respect of maybe applauding them onto the field and the Wexford supporters applauding the All-Ireland champions. And I knew once that ball was thrown in, Wexford would go for the juggler. they test every fibre. they they test the pulse of Limerick and see, well, do you really want it, lads? You know, in the first or second, third week of January. And Limerick stood up to the challenge. They knew what was coming from Wexford and they faced it down. And it was attritional. And I was very impressed with Limerick. The thing about Limerick, obviously, last year is that their entire All-Ireland final starting team got nominated for an All-Star. They all had individually brilliant years. So it's going to be tough to find that one or two new players who are going to pick up a starting spot. But ultimately, if you look at any of the great teams in either code over the last decade or two, there has always been one or two new players that have come into the starting team regularly. And that comes from the coldness of like the Brian Cody's or, or the Jim Gavins of the world. Is John Cole or John Kiley that, that uh, cold, ruthless manager that, that he possibly can be? Because he seems like a very amicable, amicable man when he does his media dealings. I don't know if I necessarily agree with you there. I'll give you an example. I mean, Offaly's four All-Ireland wins from, from the eight, two in the 80s and two in the 90s, we operated with a very limited panel. I would also suggest that the difference between Limerick and Cork last year was Limerick's greater strength and depth on the bench. When that game went to the dying embers, Limerick were the ones who could bring good players in. Cork were the ones who were shown of that extra bit of talent on the bench. So I think that Limerick have a very strong squad. I think what that creates within the, the whole structure is the players that didn't make it, didn't start, but are on the bench and will have belief in themselves. They'll be pushing every bit as hard this year for someone that hits a lack of form. So I think he has a very good panel. If he picks somebody up, well, so be it. But I think what he'll be looking for is a bolter from his bench from last year to try and cement a position down. I think Limerick are in a good place panel-wise. I did want to ask you about the quality of refereeing. Um, here's Eddie Brennan, who obviously is uh, in charge now of a senior inter-county team and maybe doing his best to uh, jostle his way up the pecking order for ultimately whenever that Kilkenny job does become available. Um, he saw his leash side be on the wrong side of a number of refereeing decisions and hear what he had to say about the referee's assessor. Have a look. I think it was obvious that there was an assessor sitting above in the stand. Very obvious. And I think, you know, the ref refed that way. I mean, to me, I think both sides were given frees you know there were you know I, I don't know um, they just seemed to be yellow cards dished out very very easily very very early and look fair enough they have a job to do I'm not, I'm not going to turn around and criticise that but I just think you definitely see a difference in how a referee referees when we all knew there was an assessor sitting above in the stands you know I saw one stage a fella you know flick to get a ball and to me he was genuinely trying to get a ball and you know it was it was it was uh, it was a yellow card, and I think also look when players are dipping low, when a f- I, I find it very frustrating. If a player is standing his ground and a player comes in against him and dips low and grabs the arm, 
I don't see how that can be punished either. But look, it's, it's, they're only small things. They're not going to, as I said, that's not uh, trying to you know, deflect attention away from the reality of it. Um, we have a nice bit of work to do. And that's what we'll do. We have to just keep at it. He's right, though, to bring this stuff up because um, Hurling shouldn't get complacent about the fact that everything's going well with regards to the uh, competition structures at the moment. You can always make the game just a little bit better and keep it safer and make the forwards have a little bit of an advantage so that, you know, we keep this thing going forward. Ger, I didn't know you were going to ask this question. I'm delighted you did. I tweeted about it last night. I went out for a long walk and it was, it was in my head the whole way around about Hurling and what I'm looking at now. There's two issues that, in, and, and Eddie's nailed one of them. There's two issues in Hurland that absolutely infuriate me at the minute. One, we have ruck after ruck after ruck. What's contributing to it is, and I tried to engage with my good friend Brian Gavin last night, and I hope he'll come back to me on it. Referees are throwing a ball in between two players now. And there's 12, there's a dozen players within three or four yards. And it ensues another ruck and another ruck. The rule says you've got to be 10 yards back. Enforce it. Because... We want the game more open. And the other blight that's on our game is the use of the spare arm in a tackle. There's nothing in the rule book in Hurland that allows you grab a player with your spare arm. And it's been coached into players. And coaches are getting paid phenomenal sums of money to go to counties. And they're spending a lot of time coaching illegal tactics. And I've watched it before games in Thurles, in the small little grids before games, inter-county teams, playing the possession game, and the guys without the possession grabbing the arm, letting go quickly, and the next guy coming in. It's illegal, and it needs to be stopped. And I think Crow Park need to be issuing a diktat to referees. It's illegal. It's a blight in the game for the last 15 years. But referees are letting it go. You cannot grab a player by your arm. When we were playing, and you just couldn't. You blocked the player. You hooked the player. You could use your body. You could stand the player up. So the skills of the game aren't being coached. Negative tactics are being coached into players, which is negative fouling. And it's been coached into teams and players. And refs are letting it go. And it's gone so far, I fear we're not going to eradicate it. So it's suiting. You see these hurlers over the years, bigger and stronger. Why are they getting bigger and stronger? It's One is to break a tackle. But number two is how to tackle illegally. And I just wish Eddie hit the nail on the head in relation to that. The fact that hurling is competitive and there's a lot of teams... One of the reasons there's a lot more teams competitive now is because the skills difference between the top teams has narrowed because negativity has narrowed that because it is in your face type of hurling. We're not coaching enough skills into young children. We're coaching negativity into them. Yeah, no, it's a fair point. One last thing I did want to ask you was your take on the uh, recent hike in price rises by the GAA for a, a range of different games, obviously qualifiers all Ireland finals gone up by a tenner the league game's gone up by five or if you pay at the gate uh, what was your take on all that we haven't spoken to you since that happened well I was very very interested you interviewed my 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 awfully colleague last week uh, his name leaves me now at the moment uh, UCD graduate oh, Paul Rouse Paul Rouse yeah, yeah. I, and I watched it it was very interesting I mean it's very very simple Paul Rouse just diluted that argument immediately where he said factually it was wrong that there, and, and he totally contradicted the president that there has been increases I mean if anyone needs to know the situation you know look at that interview that you guys did with Paul last week where he factually pointed out that the president was incorrect there has been increases in our games in the National League and in championship over the last number of years so I mean that's just blown wind At the end of the day that's 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 spin if there's been increases, there's been increase, Mr. President. Don't spin it. There has been increases. And, I mean, you need to look at where things are at the moment. 
I know a lot of people I've spoke to over the last weekend. I've looked at it and I've said, do I want to pay 20 euro to go into a league game? I, I have the choice. So let, let, let's let's look at it like this. We have a choice. We either pay it or not. Some people can say, well, it's an extra two euros or whatever. Well, that's fine. If people want to pay it, people will pay it. If people don't want to pay it, people won't. People will vote with their feet. I will be selective about what I go to. If there's something that's down in Tullamore that I want to go to and I want to see, let's face it, I'll go and look at my county to see how they're going. But if they're playing Galway, they're playing Dublin next, and they're playing Galway in Tullamore, I'll go as much to see what Galway are shaping up like. And I'll pay 20 euros. Do I agree with it? It's not the worst increase in the world, but it's wrong to suggest that there hasn't been increases since the last number of years. That's factually wrong, and that's where I'd stand on it. All right, good man, Di. Thanks for joining us this morning. Great to have you back on the show. Dahi Regan giving us some thoughts on the weekend's hurling and we'll uh, obviously check in with Dahi across the rest of the league campaign and the championship as well. It's nice for the hurling chiefs to get rid of relegation this year to give football a bit of time in the spotlight. A bit more peril near the end of the league campaigns and then you know the hurling quarterfinals will come along and destroy football once again but we're going to enjoy our time in the spotlight in a couple of weeks. It's mad how the quarterfinals are like the most meaningless games in any competition. They're always really good. Ever. It's weird, <laughs> isn't it? Like They're so pointless but uh, everybody watches them. And But they're always epics. Like And actually, yeah. in retrospect, there was a game two years ago where Waterford were killing Galway. Galway made a comeback and beat them. It was a, a Waterford's second string team that they kind of they were resting. Two years ago, was it? Was it yeah, I think so, yeah. And... Um, and Galway kind of pinpointed that moment. It's like, oh, actually, you know, we got a bit of confidence back. Yeah. But it was the league quarter final. You're not supposed to care about this game. Hammer tip in the league final. Yeah. Uh, all right, Darren Cleary's in studio with us next. But first, I want to talk about this. Here's Kieran Cunningham on last night's show talking about Jim Gavin's cryptic answers around the future of Dermot Connolly in a Dublin jersey. And uh, Dermot Connolly, by the way, he was asked about Connolly's potential return. He said, it's like any player who volunteers their time for playing inter county football. Those choices that they make are purely those choices. And if players want to come back, we'll be delighted to have them. Uh, pressed further on whether that was an indication Connolly didn't want to return to the inter-county scene. Gowan said, no, that's not what I said. So we're none the wiser, really. No, and he, like, he was asked about Connolly after the All-Ireland final and at the Le- Leinster Championship launch last year as well. And the answers he gave were similarly oblique. Mm. Like, he hasn't really given a straight answer on this. And like, from, what, from what I gather, it's quite, un- it's, it's quite unlikely that Dermot Connolly will, play, will be part- involved this year. And I think that's a huge gamble if that does turn out to be the case because if you look at last year, they didn't need Dermot Connolly. Like they won every game comfortably, bar the qualifier or the Super Ace game in Oma, which is still, you know, they, they kept Tyrone at arm's length. Whereas if you look at the last really tight do-or-die championship battle they had was against Mayo yeah, in the 2070 the final and they needed him to win it. So you can read too much into last year they didn't have that kind of challenge last year maybe they won't have it this year but I think five in a row always bring pressure and and I think they will I think they might get a few of those challenges this year like they went four points down with 20 minutes ago yesterday he made a forward sub Mm. he brought Conor McHugh on for Dean Rock and Conor McHugh is a decent forward he would get in most inter-county teams he was under 21 player of the championship a few years ago but if you were an opponent or uh, the back that he's come has to pick him up you would far rather be marking Conor McHugh than Dermot Connolly. Mm. All right, so um, that was um, Kieran Cunningham last night speaking about the comments from Jim Gavin in the aftermath of the league game at the weekend talking about Dermot Connolly. I think that um, Gavin wants to keep his options open here, in a way, and that's what's going on. If he says no, it's over. And he could say no, it's over if he wanted, and that'd be it, be done. But if there's a change of heart or a change of mind then he can reintroduce him at any point up to the start of the championship, 
keeping options open. It sounds like a, a particularly tactical move in Love Island or something like that. <laughs> uh, I think you're right. I think this is going to be a story that because of that is going to rumble on for the next few weeks and months. Now, the thing is, if he's not keeping his options open and he already knows that Dean Connolly doesn't want to be a part of the team or that he doesn't want Dean Connolly to be part of the team, we should say we don't know. Yeah. Uh, if it's one of those two things, then it, it, regardless of what it is, Dublin need to clarify it. And it, it will help them big time if, we, if people aren't talking about this for the next couple of months because we will continue to talk about it for the next couple of months because he's a generational talent and Dublin are going for five in a row. Yeah, I'm almost a little bit uncomfortable talking about Dermot Connolly because while he was playing, he was the most scrutinised player in the country and he hasn't played for Dublin since the All-Ireland final a couple of years back and yet he still enjoys a level of scrutiny above most active players. I think at the moment, uh, I, I don't think Jim has as much say in it as we would like to believe he does. I don't think he has been given any indication from Connolly that he wants to come back. So I think he is... You him? Th- there's a suggestion, but I, I, I'm not sure if it's true. That's that's the bit. It's like I spoke to him, not into it at the moment. We're moving on. I don't think he's talked to him at all. Do you know? Well, then, like, that, so that's the bit where I I would say this isn't scrutiny of Connolly so much as scrutiny of um, the Dubs, and also he's such a good player. Like we all want to see him. That that's a, 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 so he doesn't want to see him. But uh, even as a neutral slash Kildare supporter, I'd love to see Connolly back playing football. Do you Selfishly, we'd all love to see it. Anyone yeah. who is, enjoys yeah. watching a player of that ilk play. Players. Gary fans don't. But I'm sure there's an appreciation for what Connolly does, deep-rooted and own. At well, the same Connolly's just going to run into our blanket defence all year, <laughs> so we're going to be fine. But uh, it, is it not a bit like, again, we don't know what's going on here, but is it not strange that Jim Gavin wouldn't have phoned Jim Connolly for a man who's... who's Too much speculation around that conversation, I think. Like, yeah. Do you know I, what I mean? Did he, did he not phone him? Do we not? Do one, sure, I mean, I'm trying to say, surely he called him. I think Gavin is approaching it as this guy has shown over the last few months that football isn't really his focus at the moment. He's played very little club football. He's played very little club hurling aside from his stint in the summer and I think uh, two appearances for Vincent's at senior level. He's done very little. So when someone is not even uh, involved in the club sphere, I think it would be remiss of Gavin to make any kind of approach to ask would he like to be involved in the county game. If, the, if he's playing club, absolutely, he's someone you can consider. But when that's not even on his radar... Or I don't know. I don't know. I think that like, they, 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 play so few, they play so few club games anyway. No, but he's, just, he's not involved. He's I not know, around. but he's like the best footballer of his generation. So you're, you're like, you were away for a while, you're, not, you're back now, come in training, we'll see what we get We might not want to come back. Well then, fair enough, but then just say that. That's no? Like, I'm that, sure that's that, that conversation's but happened. I'm not sure if it has. I think, the, I, I think it's been left where it was when Connolly departed the first time as if you would like to come back let us know I don't I think Gavin is a principal and proud man I don't think he will go cap in hand I don't think it's it is It's not cap in hand it's like here we're moving on you've got to be with us this week or not But he would be of the belief that it's Connolly's call to make and that, that's the, the thing he's put in straight away the whole time it's always been it is Connolly's call if he would like to come back tell us who come back we will consider anyone who is available I don't, think he f- makes the call. I don't think he has. A, he <clears throat> sees it as his role to make the call, and I think he has ultimate selection. He he picks who is the member of his squads. Not like you know, if you're a young aspiring footballer, you can't ring up Jim Gavin and say, "I want to be a part of your squad." You can when you're Dermot Connolly. Well, that's mad. That's that's. Like- I think he might be the only player to be able to ring up and say, "I'd like to be part of this squad." I don't think it would be in Gavin's nature to go and ask Connolly. I think that would nearly be coming from a position of weakness. It's very much so right, about I, the group and if you want to be involved in, in the group, we're not going to go ask you. You're either with us or without us. You make it very clear whether or not you want to be with us. Yeah, I think I... I, I maybe with semantics, I, I think that it's Jim's call, it's Jim's team. Joe Schmidt isn't waiting for Simon Zebo to ring him saying, I'd like to play for you. Joe Schmidt's like, off you go. 
Let's, let's face it here. Jim Gavin knows exactly what he wants in this situation. There's no way that he doesn't. He is the best intercounty manager, potentially, of all time. He knows exactly what he wants. And, uh, Better than Mikko. Well, I, I would say that management has moved on a good bit from the Mikko era, has it not? In yeah, terms of being a meticulous, uh, evil genius, uh, he is uh, way better than anything we've ever seen in terms of the, the, the vast array of things that he's done. So he knows what he wants, and I would just be shocked if there hasn't been a conversation. And may, maybe you're right, maybe Jim McConaughey just doesn't want to come back. I don't think there's been a conversation. Jack McCaffrey was in here before Christmas, and he said that he'd spoken to Dermot socially. I don't get the sense that talking about football with Connolly would be something that a lot of people would do. It seems to be the, the case of they would just avoid it. So he said he'd spoken to him, but football didn't come up. It wasn't on the agenda. He asked him a couple of recommendations to do in Boston while he was on holidays, but it wasn't something they discussed. So I don't think that there's a charm offensive from either side. I don't think Connolly's making it clear he wants to come back. And I don't think Gavin is sitting waiting by the phone for Turing either. All right, what have you got for us? Start with the breaking news, and it's from the tennis world, where Andy Murray has undergone hip surgery that will either end or extend his tennis career. He announced the news in an Instagram post. Murray said, I underwent a hip resurfacing surgery in London yesterday morning, feeling a bit battered and bruised just now, but hopefully that will be the end of my hip pain. I now have a metal hip, as you can see in the photo, and I look like I've got a bit of a gut in photo one. So Murray is still hoping to... uh, play at some stage. He's undergone the uh, very radical hip procedure that will either end or extend his career. Now, the England assistant coach, John Mitchell, has fired shots at Ireland in the build-up to the Saturday Six Nations opener. He claims Joe Schmidt's charges will try to bore the expletive out of England. The stakes couldn't be higher. And Eddie Jones, his assistant, has poured fuel on the fire by describing Ireland's game plan as dull. It's not the first barb from the English this week. Eddie Jones uh, claimed Johnny Sexton got special treatment from referees and suggested he even had a direct line slash bat phone to the officials. Keith Earls says Ireland are getting ready for war and not just a war of war. The Munster man expects Saturday's Six Nations opener to be a brutal encounter. Every game we play in is brutal and physical because we're it's 15 men trying to kill another 15 men within the rules of the game, you know. And yeah, I wouldn't get too bogged down on it. It's I always expect a game like that to be brutal, brutally physical. And as I said, they are expected to be brutally physical against Scotland, Italians, and and the, the Welsh as well. So it's not no, maybe it's just the two coaches, but. Was on the field, we'll always, we'll always know it's going to be brutal. Now, Ali Gunnar Solskjaer will be hoping to lead Manchester United to a ninth straight victory in all competitions. Burnley, the visitors to Old Trafford in the Premier League later. The United legend could become the first ever manager to win his first seven Premier League games in charge of a club. Carlo Ancelotti at Chelsea and Pep Guardiola at Man City both only managed the six. Chris Smalling could return after seven weeks on the sidelines when United host Burnley. The defender trained this week but has not featured since December the 8th due to a foot issue. Marcus Rojo and Marilyn Fellaini remain sidelined while David De Gea will return in goal after being rested for the FA Cup win at Arsenal. Robbie Brady unlikely to play this evening. The Dubliner a major doubt for Burnley. The Republic of Ireland International is struggling with a groin injury picked up in the FA Cup thumping at Manchester City. Now City take on Newcastle at St James's Park later. Victory will see them cut Liverpool's lead at the top of the table to a single point for a day at least Huddersfield host Everton in their first game under new manager Jan Seward Brighton will have first choice goalkeeper Matt Ryan available for selection for their trip to Fulham Ryan has not played for the club since Stephen's day as he's been involved in the Asian Cup he's back in contention though after Australia's quarter-final exit at the hands of UAE 
Marco Arnautovic is expected to be back in the West Ham squad for their trip to Wolves. The Austrian striker missed the last two matches after having his head turned by big money offers. It appeared unlikely that he would remain at the club beyond January. But less than half an hour after their shock defeat to Wimbledon in the FA Cup, the Hammers suddenly announced that the 29-year-old had signed a new contract extension. Cardiff City returned to the pitch for the first time this evening. It follows the disappearance of the plane carrying their record signing Emiliano Sala. Manager Neil Warnock admits their trip to Arsenal may be coming too soon for some of his squad who are struggling and have undergone counselling since the tragedy. There will be a minute's reflection before the game, but Sala's family have requested that the players not wear black armbands. Warnock's revealed he's thought about quitting football after what he's described as the worst week of his career. I've been in football management now um, 40 years, I think, now, and... Uh, it's by far the most difficult week in my career, by an absolute mile. When I look at Romino and the family, etc., etc., I think it's uh, it's such a, a difficult time. I think you've got to, you know, I keep looking at my own children and and uh, and thinking what I would be doing now as well. So it's a it's a, a very traumatic for area, but my sympathies are with them. I think uh, I think the the family has been fantastic and a, and a massive plus to. Uh, our fans and Nantes fans, I think they've been amazing as well. He, he, he gave everything, 100%, every time he played. Wasn't always play, didn't always play well, but he scored some great goals. And I think he, just the challenge, he was so looking forward to it. Now, Barnet have kept their FA Cup dream alive after a thrilling 3-3 fourth round draw against Brentford. The only non-league side left in the competition earned a replay last night. Swansea will await the winners in the next round. There's a repeat of last year's final as the holders Chelsea will host the 12-time champions Manchester United. Potter Gammond and Newport County could play at home to Premier League champions Man City if they overcome Middlesbrough in their replay. League One Doncaster will be hoping to cause an upset. They were drawn at home to Crystal Palace. Bristol City host Shrewsbury Town or Wolves. Portsmouth or QPR will play Watford and Brighton or West Ham will face Derby County. The fifth round ties will take place between the 15th and 18th of February. The GAA's referees chief Willie Barrett has warned that high head challenges will be punished by red cards for the remainder of the season. Barrett says showing zero tolerance for high tackles was one of the main directives handed to referees at a seminar in Crow Park earlier this month. Tony Kelly was red carded for Clare for his tackle on Park Mar and their clash with Tip at the weekend. Monon footballer Jack McCarran escaped with just a yellow after he appeared to need Dublin's John Small in the back of the head in their three-point win in Clonus. Barrett said... We have been saying to referees where there is a challenge to the head, it is a red card. If you have a situation where the player has the ball and there is a challenge in the head and it's a dangerous and reckless challenge to the head, then it is a red card and we have told them that. Other codes are talking about head-high tackles and that they are dangerous and we put a renewed emphasis on them. They are dangerous. We've had a seminar in Crow Park and we showed the fouls in a review of 2018. He continued, we felt it was necessary for us to penalise them strongly and to continue to penalise them throughout the league and championship until we eradicate challenges to the head. Kicks in the head okay? Are they? I think anything in the head is uh, what he wants to eradicate. Right. Punch in the head okay? No, bad. All right. All right. All these things are bad. Wexford Camogie officials are hopeful a new manager can be in situ in time for this weekend's Division 1 Littlewoods Ireland Camogie League clash against Galway. There will be a desperate bid to avoid another walkover this weekend. Wexford failed to field a team for the game against Cork last weekend. They have been without a manager since Martin Carey resigned prior to the beginning of the 2019 campaign. Mick Curran took temporary charge and guided the team. They lost to Waterford in the opening game. Jacinta Roach was appointed chair of the Wexford Camogie board last month. She's been talking to the 42 
2.ie and she told them that they should have been able to put a team together for the court game last week. That was despite the unavailability of a contingent from St Martins who were involved in the All-Ireland Club semi-final on Sunday afternoon. Wexford will now lose a large portion of the grant they received to fund the team for the year. Roach added, it was unfortunate that €4,500 of the €9,000 grant would be withheld due to their failure to field the side in a competitive fixture. All right, good stuff, Darren. Thanks for that. One other bit of breaking news is that um, we have the former TIP senior hurling manager, Michael Ryan. It's the TIP, Michael Ryan, has been appointed as the new Napiershig hurling manager in Limerick. The Limerick leader are, are uh, reporting this this morning from Jerome O'Connell. Uh, Ryan, who departed TIP last August, will have former Galway and Lockray hurler Nigel Shocknessy as his coach. Napiershig clubman PJ Breen will be a selector. Ryan from Drumban Upper Church uh, won the Limerick Carthy Cup title as a player in 91, appointed TIP boss in 2015 after serving as a selector under. Eamon O'Shea and Liam Sheedy, so uh, he will be taking over Napiershig. Uh, that's um, one of the most high-profile clubs out in the country at the moment. Yeah, I see uh, Davey's gone in with Six Mile Bridge as well this week, so uh, club jobs are all the rage at the moment. Davey, of course, double-jobbing uh, at some point or, or another, you'd imagine, and when he goes in with the Six Mile Bridge backroom team, so Napiershig trying to, to get back uh, in terms of launching an All-Ireland tilts next year, so it'll be interesting to see how he gets on. But, like... It, because of Hurling's competitiveness, it's very easy for anybody to kind of underachieve with a great team at the moment. Uh, but you always felt that if he, if he stayed on for one more year, there might have been Null Ireland there for tip again. But maybe last year was a chance for the big tip rebound and it just didn't happen. Is it achievable being an inter-county manager and the manager of a club? Like when you see the way intermediate teams and junior teams are even approaching how serious they take their, their preparation and the buy-in they expect from players nowadays, is it, is it feasible for someone to What's, be able to do both? is doing it at the moment with Cavan uh, and Octa, but that's only a very temporary thing. It'll be interesting to see how much Davey actually does with Six Mile Bridge, probably kind of uh, more consultant. on a consultant basis. Yeah. <laughs> Taking training sessions and that kind of stuff. So uh, let's do this. You were playing football yesterday, were you? I played a bit of football yesterday, yeah. What we were... Mean? We were beaten 2-1 in the uh, OTB Derby. Culture's V-Dubs. How long are we... Jeez, it's been a bad 48 hours to Dublin, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> two games, two days. It's, it's a tough one. We have a clip of that coming up a little bit later, so stay tuned for that. Now, Eddie O'Sullivan was on Monday Night Rugby last night. Here is how he sees Ireland's Six Nations opener against England going. Have a look. The starting point for me is the selection. If you pick the best 15 players over the two squad to two teams, I think England might get two on our team. They might get two. They might... They, they, they get probably... You could argue Billy Vinopola and you could argue Mario Toje. But I don't see, like, you could argue, you know, if you were playing um, Farrell at 10, but that means leaving out Sexton. I wouldn't I wouldn't buy that. Mm. So really, we are a better team than them. They get very few players in our team. Um, for that reason, Eddie's hands are tied with his back row. He, he doesn't have an open side. Sam Underhill was his ghetto to jail card yeah. on the side. He's gone. Uh, so I think his centre partnership, again, he, he wants Farrell on the field. Uh, but he's used Farrell at twelve more than ten. Even though Farrell is his best ten, but he doesn't have it. He doesn't have an outside centre. Then he bumps Tulangi or um, or um, uh, Ben Teo to, to outside centre. So I, I think he might just go like if he's physically he might go with Farrell, uh, Tulangi and Teo in the middle of the field and just go like like uh, bats out of hell physically yeah. in attack and defence. Um, I don't think he can beat us playing rugby. I think we're a better rugby team. Okay. And I think and then the pack he has is again has got. Physicality written all over it, so I would think it's going to be a hugely physical game, and for that reason, I think they go route one rugby, um, and try and basically beat us up, and it's possible, but I don't believe they have the horse. I think we we can match them at that as well. Mm. So I think Eddie Jones has a lot of headaches coming into Dublin. Yeah, so that's um, one way of going about beating Ireland from uh, Eddie Sullivan. Alan Quinlan's here. It's 
I mean, maybe we're setting ourselves up for fall here, talking ourselves into, ah, England only have one way of beating us. But it feels that way at the moment, that they're going to have to batter us or they're not going to beat us. Yeah, I think that uh, Eddie Jones has spoken about the aerial battle and the battle at the breakdown, and that's kind of that's going to be key, and it's, it's a key in most games, um, set piece and, and what you do with the ball when you have it then. But if he picks Tuilagi, and like Eddie's saying, Tuilagi and, and, and Theo and Farrell, that's a very physical kind of 10, 12, 13. So that'll be an area that um, they will try and target. And I think, look, if I was Eddie Jones in England, I would try and you've got to ruffle Ireland up a little bit to have any chance of beating them because they're a very good side and they're very organised and and resilient side and, and abrasive. So get in amongst them, rattle them a bit, and you know you can do that physically. And fi- Ireland, I wouldn't say they physically dominate teams, but they physically impose themselves and they wear teams down and, and they back their fitness and their their continuity, the way they can hold on to the ball and... and you know they can, so it's, it'll be no surprise to see England. And traditionally, England, I think sometimes they've criticised, and John Mitchell is talking about our, um, bo- Ireland boring teams. They're going shy, John Mitchell. That's what I say. Yeah, it's Come on. England have always. What are you talking about? Have you, yeah, exactly. Kind of muscle people, and you know, you look. They won a, the World Cup final in '91. Um, Eddie Jones was coaching, and his his Australian side were criticising England and for being up the jumper team and because they were so big and powerful and our, our, our Australia outfoxed them with kind of more open rugby and stuff so it, it depends it's horses for courses who you have available to you with the Vunapolas back they'll be very direct they'll try and get them off around the, the fringes of the breakdown around the fringes of the rock and, and carry, making a lot of carries England won a World Cup playing 10 man rugby yeah they did and um, they reached another it, final playing 9 man rugby this is about winning um I think they're trying to go at Ireland a little bit to be to 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 go away from what they know well. But wasn't it the worst goading of all time? Like John Mitchell from nowhere, like most Irish fans probably just now aware of the fact that he got the gig last September. That like um, his predecessor was somebody who kind of clearly had a thought pattern. Paul Guster, yeah, yeah, was a really good. The Wolfpack was a thing that you know I understood exactly what they were trying to do. It sounded a bit weird, but okay, fair enough. It was a thing. Uh, with Mitchell, it's like. Really? You're going to come and give It's a very crap? risky appointment, not on ability, but on personality. Because if you're coming off um, a bad year that they had under Eddie Jones, um, a little bit of player unrest, a little bit of talk of overtraining, too much contact in training, that was well documented last year. Even the week of the that game in Twickenham when Ireland won the Grand Slam, they overtrained and they were doing a lot of contact and, and players were giving out about that. Uh, not publicly, but that stuff gets out. And then you appoint someone like John Mitchell, who's a, a colourful past, if you like, with um, how he deals with players, how he talks to people, management. Um, there was player unrest in 2008 in the, in the Western Force in Australia, where he got suspended and there was an inquiry. Players didn't want to play for him. He was abusing people. Um, it was alleged he was abusing people and, and that story got out but there was a, a player revolt it was the same in the lines in 2012 one particular player tweeted recently saying uh, in last year saying that he was up for renew with the, the Blue Bulls and South African Rugby Union were part of that process and he was pleading publicly that they don't renew it because it was the worst decision ever to allow him to come into South Africa he played under him in in, in um, in the lines in 2012 when the players 
revolted. They wanted him out, and he, he they got him out. Um, and the story was that it was abusing players, staff, people in... This the, is verbal, obviously, yeah. Verbal abuse. And yeah. look, I can understand in a sense that he's a bit of an old-school approach, hard kind of... He was a hard player when he played. and That's what Eddie Jones is too, though, right? He's had 16 jobs, um, 16 kind of coaching positions. Why did England appoint him? Um, there's obviously a connection. I think Jones and, uh, and himself worked a little bit in South Africa when Eddie Jones went there um, with the Sharks. And uh, Mitchell brought him in there, so um, they obviously have some sort of a connection because he wasn't someone that was just pushed into the job by the no. England Rugby Union. And reportedly, they paid two hundred thousand to the Blue Bulls in Aust- in South Africa to get him. Uh, it's mind-boggling stuff. I read a piece that Stuart Barnes did a few months ago when he was appointed, and I thought it was bang on. You know what I mean? It was you're spending not alone his salary, but you're going getting someone who. He look. He may work really well for him, and may suit Eddie Jones's style and mentality. And but I don't know. He's it's a bit rich for him coming out talking about boring rugby when he was one one of the people who finished. He was the main person who finished Christian Cullen's career in New Zealand, where he dropped him often the All Black squad for being a star, and that's that was his own words for being a star. Um, so he limped out of the World Cup in two thousand and three. So it's not my, like it sounds like I'm racking up all this stuff to to go against him, but it's context. Yeah, to be fair to him, is it tongue in cheek? He adds a little bit of well, look, Ireland are a very good side and they're a great side and they're resilient and they're very well coached, but that's quite insulting um, to come out and say that they're going to board a SHIT. They shit on the internet, it's fine. Pardon? So you can they're okay. boring the shit out of us, yeah. Okay. Um, and look, maybe it's just part of the mind games. If you go back to what Eddie Jones came out with two years, three three years ago now, it's about the kicking game that he was thinking of getting an Australian rugby, an Aussie rules team in to train, train against him because Ireland kicked so much, when statistically it was proven that England actually kicked more in that Six Nations than Ireland. Um, so he has to get his stats right, didn't get them right then. Then he spoke about Johnny Sexton's welfare and his parents should be concerned. Last year he called us the scummy Irish, which I thought was good fun now, to be fair. And it was a, you know, it was a lunch. It was a bit of yeah. crack that was yeah. supposed to be behind the scenes. So much. Um, two weeks ago he's talking, or a week and a half ago, he's talking about Johnny Sexton of a direct line to the referees. They're doing a lot of talking um, and it's kind of racking up. I don't think Joe Schmidt will pay huge attention to it. It won't affect his thinking. See, I, I would have agreed with you, right? But then I was making the example earlier on of um, the New Orleans Saints taking something that one of the LA Rams guys had played and then putting it in the stadium. And every time the ball was out of play, the stadium would go mad. And this guy's that guy's coming to our house. Yeah, no, they'll be aware of it. Big There's screen. Absolutely no doubt about it. 15 minutes in, John Mitchell's head. They'll be very, to shit. They'll be That's very, what I would do if I was in control of the big screen this weekend. They'll be very, very aware of it. Um, when I say they won't, they won't put a huge focus on it. They'll try not let it distract them. But they'll be very conscious of it. And if Ireland beat England on Saturday, will they have a bit of... Take up Stockdale underneath his, his um, try when he scores, does it over the head and there's a sh- poo emoji. Yeah. <laughs> Straight over to Tom um, Mitchell. But look, it's, it's just part and parcel of... What I think they're trying to do is they're trying to rattle Ireland a little bit here and create a little bit of uncertainty and maybe... This, these comments will, will kind of think, oh God, Ireland need to play a bit more and will the players actually, will they slow the game down? Will they control the tempo of it? Because Ireland are very good at that. 
Now, there is a slight argument to say that at times we have been a little bit boring. We've been structured, um, but it's been very effective yeah. when you think of what we've won in the last number of years. So England, of all teams, are not this expansive side who throw the ball around, and they haven't been under Eddie Jones. They've been attritional. He's re- relied on trying to beat teams up, kick a lot, um, smother teams, and you know, obviously if there's opportunities, then the individual talent kicks in and they have a fair bit of pace and power in the back line, but they don't... They don't throw the ball around willy-nilly and haven't done under, under Eddie Jones. Like you say, it's not going to get to Joe Schmidt. I often wonder if these comments are never directed towards Joe Schmidt but towards the players as individuals because Eddie Jones made a comment as well a couple of weeks ago about Ireland being an extremely well-coached side and it's always about Ireland being well-coached, never any credit for the actually some individual yeah. brilliance in the, in the squad. Yeah, that's it. And, and um, I, I think it, it does give a little bit of motivation. If I was one of the players there, I'd, be, I'd, I'd want to prove them wrong. You don't publicly speak about that but you've got to try and not let it distract you either and, and stick to what they've, they've done really well their preparation has been a little bit um, for all the sides it's a little bit shorter in this window because they've only two weeks to prepare England are still out in Portugal they put a video up online of the winger catching the ball with one of the coaches kind of waving one of those kind of um, floatable things that you do in the snakes that you bring in the pool, you know, those f- inflatable yeah, yeah. things that you shake, you're waving that in front of a player. I thought it was a bit condescending. Was it kind of aimed at, um, you know, a little bit insulting towards Ireland on Saturday? Why did they put that stuff up there? Um, so what was the point of it? The point of it was, I think, was it aimed at Ireland? Oh, we're going to face a load of kicks again in Ireland on Saturday and it's going to be typical Ireland and... Um, you know, there's, they're trained with kind of smooth balls with soap on them, the players. And they're releasing kind of these statements and letting this stuff out. It's, it's a psychological thing as well, you know. Say we're, would you say we're in their heads a little bit? Absolutely. Like if you're Joe Schmidt looking at that, you're Absolutely. going, well, our job here is done. Let's start planning for the next week here and take a little bit of the focus off this. Cause like, uh, there's no planning for next week. They've well, got to I mean, stay on cue. Don't, like, whatever week. we do, don't talk about any of this stuff. Don't engage with it. Don't, like... Because it, it's it's a really badly run war of, you know, we're not talking about the Russian uh, uh, version of the CIA here. We're not talking about the CIA here. We're talking about like a bunch of chumps sitting in Twickenham going, how can we upset the Irish? Let's do some videos. Like, it's schoolboy stuff. I don't think it was directly aimed, but it was, uh, they didn't show much footage at our training camp in Portugal bar this scenario where one guy is waving one of these rubber inflatables or those snakes at at the wingers catching the ball, trying to distract them. Um, so it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. Look, I think aside from any of the mind games, Ireland are a side that I think they fear. They definitely fear Ireland. We killed them last year. We did, yeah. But like to be fair, I'm quite nervous about this English side because I think it, he's close to a full deck. A lot of really good players, a lot of power. And um, when Billy Vunapolo plays... And, and they've missed him. There's absolutely no yeah. doubt about that. He's a world-class but, player. Um, they have a lot of power and pace. We've got the video of this now. I think we can show this. So this is uh, inbound. High ball practice ahead of Ireland versus England. Hashtag wear the rose. It's um, George Ford kicking the ball. And then... Is that supposed to be Jacob Stockdale, the inflatable thing? Or who's the, who, like? It's just a bit of distraction, I think. Yeah. The crowd are obviously going to be screeching and roaring and stuff. But like, to be fair, they're not the, the most difficult kicks. They're kind of landing... A little bit short there. 
Um, I would be practicing more having a contestable runner come right up into their face rather than sh- shaking the, what do you call those things? Clouts. I'd have a player right up in front or maybe have a couple of players running around him, distracting him or or screaming at them. But look, it was kind of just... It's a bit ironic the way they posted that video, wasn't it? And kicking practice. Ah, we're in their heads. A little bit, but look, yeah. We just better win now. Yeah, that's it. It's going to be be tough, though. It's going to be tricky. So your fear is that their, their power will be of such magnitude that they might be able to open holes and cause damage in our defence. Well, they're a very physical, big side, so... Um, are we not, though, as well? Um, yeah, we are. I think they, they may have a little bit more... Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the weights of the packs were. Um, but look, when you look at James Ryan, Tone or Furlong, Keane Healy, we have a lot of power. Stander, will Sean O'Brien play? You know, Mahoney. There's a lot of big players there, and... I think they will, you know, they'll try and come and rattle Ireland a bit. I think that's their only chance. Pool noodles, Tommy, we're live. Pool noodles. Yeah. Uh, Courtney Laws has been showing off his new muscles, says he's eaten a lot of food, put on a, an extra stone of weight in terms of muscle only. Uh, is that going to be one of the, the areas they look to exploit? Just get off the, the back row, get off the pack and just hit Johnny Sexton, hit Conor Murray potentially? For sure. If I was playing against Conor Murray and Johnny Sexton, I'd try and target them, you know, and that's... They understand that, they're used to that. It's up to the rest of the Irish pack to try and protect them because they're so influential. But you know, I don't think Ireland are going to get distracted. They know it's going to be physical. Um, when you play any English side, they're, they're, they're physical, they're traditionally big. And he'll pick a big, a big pack. He may play Courtney Laws at six um, if Brad Shields doesn't make it. But uh, Tom Curry, he'll probably start at seven. Um, and you know, they have they've a lot of power, they have a lot of pace. And, and that's what they're going to try and do. Obviously, they've got to try and play, play rugby as well and look for holes in, a, in an Irish side that are full of confidence and full of self-belief. So it's, um, It seems that was a much bigger talking point. Obviously, you mentioned about the Eddie Jones' comments about Sexton's well-being a couple of years ago. Has that changed? Have Ireland been doing something different over the past two seasons to protect Johnny Sexton a bit more? Um, not necessarily. I think sometimes with injuries and bangs and knocks like that, you can be just a little bit unlucky. I think he's probably a little bit more sensible in the way he tackles. Um, the way he goes, you know, he used to go probably head first into tackles and stay very upright. Um, I haven't noticed him doing that in a while, I think. But that 10-12 channel is an area where you want to protect for any players. You want to try and play, protect your 10. I think Henshaw and Aki have done a really good job in protecting whoever's played 10 there. And and the back rows off the line out. Um, so that's really important. And in, in that context, right, and in, in what we're listening to, is there a possibility that he's thinking of playing Henshaw at 15? Because Henshaw played 15 during the training week this week in, in Portugal. Rory O'Connor reported that in the Indo today, while obviously Carney was getting more game time. Is there any possibility that he's just going to give Carney another week to get back and that he might start Henshaw at 15? I think he might start. I might. He's definitely an option. He's played fifteen before, and to have Henshaw, Aki, and Ringrose on the same team at one time, they're serious players, aren't they? Yeah. You know, serious ability to change games and to be very physical and and top quality players. But I think what Rob Carney brings is that experience, and he has kind of stepped up before when he hasn't played many games, like a few of the other. Other players, Keen Healy, Sean O'Brien have done it. Um, so I would suspect that he'll go with Rob Kearney. Right. And that obviously because Kearney wasn't there, he may feature as a full-back 
at a latter stage or an option as a fullback or even come off the bench. So if Henshaw doesn't start this week, if he went for Aki and Ringrose in the centre, and you don't, and Rob Carney's playing fullback, where do you do you leave Henshaw out at the 23? I think you can't afford to leave him out at the 23, but you'd sacrifice Jordan Larmer then for, in that case, you know. Right. So it's. Um, it's an interesting one. There's so many quality players. Yeah, because you wouldn't have any qualms about Henshaw. If, say, if, if Henshaw, right, I, I think he loves Henshaw so much that he's never going to put him on the bench. But if he wants Aki in the team, can't have them both and Ringrose, right? So if, if there's an injury to one of the wingers, you wouldn't feel bad about Robbie Henshaw coming on, on the wing, would you? You put, you put Ringrose out there. I think he's played a lot more on the wing before and you put the two of them in the centre. Right. In some ways, you'd love to see... Henshaw and Aki going up against Tuolangi and Theo but then you're risking that bit of flair and that X factor that Ringrose has and his form has been so good this year and yeah. defensively he can he's, he's very strong as well so I don't think I think you have to start Ringrose and it was interesting I heard it listen to Dricko a few weeks ago where he was saying you know Aki has been so good it's very hard to leave him out of the team you nearly have that argument with Henshaw as well yeah. he's been his performances have been such such of a, a high standard for, for whatever length of time he's played for Ireland now a couple of years and uh, I think it may come to that stage where you have the three of them on the field at full back he could play full back yeah for sure yeah and because they're all fit like fully fit it's not that Kearney isn't fit because he obviously played last week but not quite at the match fitness that the other three are at at the moment yeah, and I think he, he's definitely under that little bit of a squeeze again, like he was yeah. two years ago when, when Ireland beat New Zealand. Yeah, he responded pretty well at that he point. responded, he? so he's going to respond again as well. And I wouldn't... you got to back the guy, I think, because he's pretty strong and resilient. But it's good for... I, I, I just think there's so many players on that Irish team now that they're under pressure everywhere, right across the board. Can you imagine a back row situation where you played Sean O'Brien at the weekend... Would it be fair and right to leave out Van der Fleer for what he's done in November? And then what Dan Levy did last year. They all have their own arguments, the way Jordy Murphy's been going as well with Ulster. So there's going to be a lot of good players. If Ty Byrne was fit, there's arguments to start him or at least have him on the bench. Then the way Henderson has responded, it just goes on and on and on. And people like me who've got to pick the team and maybe speculate what's the team going to be on Saturday... You're, you feel like you're insulting players because it's so difficult to kind of split who should you start, who shouldn't you start, who would you go for this game. And that's a great position for Joe Schmidt to be in, to have that, that kind of depth right across the board. Are you yeah. starting Van der Fleer at seven? Um, Jesus. <laughs> I just I keep going back to Sean O'Brien and, and what he's done before and if he's trained well in the last two weeks, I think getting him into the team is is just, he offers that experience. And then you're taking Van der Fleer out. He's chop tackle ability, his ability, his pace to the breakdown. So I would start Van der Fleer at seven and have Sean O'Brien on the bench. That's really the only other, like it's, of course our depth is brilliant, but it seems that midfield to a certain extent, fullback and seven are, are the only kind of debates we can have. Everything else picks itself, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Uh, I, if you, I think Healy, Best, Furlong, Ryan, Toner, O'Mahony, Stander, Van der Fleer, Maury, Sexton. I went for Aki, Ringrose, Stockdale, Earls and Kearney. 
um, with Henshaw off the bench. Um, Good team. It's it's a serious team. With Henshaw and O'Brien and on the bench. Sean O'Brien on the bench. Henderson on, is going to be out. So Quinn Rue's on the bench? It's Quinn Rue or... or Delan maybe. Delan maybe yeah yeah. So it's 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 a shame for 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 Henderson. It's also a shame for Tyburn because he could have oh totally Ty, could have been yeah, involved this was, for this game as well. Yeah, this was Tyburn's chance I think to start coming on in those games and winning stuff and being a, a closer for the team to nail yourself on as the as the sub um, and maybe the back row sub. I don't know. Yeah. So it's so it's so it's such a competitive situation at the moment. But so if you are Ireland and you see what how the wind is blowing for England. Big guy, big guy, big guy, big guy, big guy, big guy. Uh, how do you beat that? What's your game plan? What do, what do you do to change? They don't change too much, I think, because they've played a lot of big physical sides in the last number of years and coped well with them. Um, tactically, they've got to play in the right areas against England because if you're playing against a side who undoubtedly will try and stop you and put pressure on you, you won't, don't want to make mistakes in your own half of the field. And... Uh, so I think tactically, and they did that superbly in, in Twickenham last year, where some of the kicks, they isolated their back three, and, and it led to the first try. Um, that brilliant kick from Sexton. A uh, little bit of space in behind where Stockdale got that try as well. So I think stopping it won't be an issue for them. I think if they can build tempo and pace into their own game, that's how you beat England. That's how you wear them out a little bit. So they've... You know, at home, and the form of a lot of these players in the Champions Cup, you would imagine they're well capable of doing that. If England though do get ahead of momentum up, like how do you interrupt that? What? What? You've got to stay patient and not panic because um, I think, particularly at home, there's extra pressure in Ireland being the Grand Slam champions as well, and and maybe that's what Eddie Jones and John Mitchell are doing. They're deflecting a little bit and they're saying, look, they they bore us, they kick a lot. Uh, but they're a great side and they're well coached and well organised yeah, and stuff like them. that. Yeah. Um, they're trying to just rattle them a little bit and throw this stuff out there. But um, they, with that added pressure, um, I think it, 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 can, it can sometimes affect performance. But there's so much experience in this Irish team. They'll know what they'll have to do and they'll know the role inside out as well in their preparation under Joe Schmidt and the rest of the coaches. There was one other thing I wanted to ask about, the, the, how quickly or otherwise teams get into the, the Six Nations. There's been Six Nations openers where uh, the games have been wild and chaotic. Uh, you think back to the Wales game Wales, a couple of years back. Wales-Scotland. Yeah, it, and like um, there's been other Six Nations openers where... Drab affairs where... Teams play badly, it's freezing. Last like, year. What happened last Ireland year? Ireland and Paris last year, like they, they probably underperformed or did France overperform actually to what we were giving them credit for that week. Like I would definitely say that Ireland started the Six Nations slowly last year and it was by the end, it was by Twickenham that they were really firing. They were humming, yeah, and that can happen. It can happen to uh, it can happen to any of the sides because of lack of preparation and a bit of cohesion and stuff like that. You think Ireland are probably best placed given that there's a core group of them have played, you know, the core group of Leinster players who play regularly together. Um, then, then some of the other nations, Scotland, sometimes they have a lot of Glasgow players on it, on the team. Um, but historically, it's it's hard to get up to speed, really. And sometimes you're not showing your hand early on. Mm. So I'll take a boring win against England on Saturday, a, yeah. a, a 9-3 win or a 12-6 win. It doesn't matter. Ireland have to just win this game, figure out. And sometimes it is cup rugby. And that's why I was kind of baffled with Eddie Jones. He didn't get his stats right 
when he went on about that stuff before the kicking in fact England kicked the ball more than Ireland in that Six, six Nations um, so it's just about getting a win for Ireland on Saturday Their last win at the Aviva was 12-6 in 2013 in 2015 at the Aviva we beat them 19-9 in 2017 it was 13-9 so like again close They're close yeah, yeah. And, and they're a good side and they're a side well capable of of winning this championship or, or winning and, and uh, competing at the World Cup as well. So, like I said last week, we shouldn't underestimate him in any way. You know, we're kind of dissecting some of the comments that are being said here, but make no mistake, there'll be a good England side, a very, very good England side. I, I, Tua Lange can be, he hasn't been for a while, but can be an incredible rugby player if he's fit, well and healthy. Yeah. And he can offer him so much more. Um, than they've had maybe than you know Henry Slade is a really silky skillful player as well um, they've a lot of power and pace in their backline and I think when they've beaten us before we've actually struggled a little bit with their size and their power in their backline when they yeah. get on the front foot on occasions so what do you do when that's happening um, you try and hold on to the ball and not kick loosely to them you know that's why the kicking game, if it's done accurately, can be a fantastic weapon. Um, but I think, look, we have Stockdale. He's he's come into the team in the last couple of years. He's six foot three, really, really big, powerful big man. Yeah. We've got a lot of power and strength in the centre now with Henshaw, Aki, back up with Chris Farrell. Wood Allison's a big man. Ring Road is, is really after filling out and becoming really, really strong. I think Keith Earls was never the biggest player in the world, but I think he's physically he's got a lot more powerful, yeah. and um, he's shown that he can, you know, really cope with that physical side of the game as well. So um, there's a lot of lot of strength in Ireland now as well. Stuart Hogg's in the papers today saying that he thinks Scotland can win this whole thing. They've got Italy at home and then Ireland uh, at home next week, so it's a perfect start. I think the crucial game for them is if 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 they if they can beat Ireland. Um, they're way in Twickenham and they're way in Paris. They're the hard ones. Mm. Uh, you want to win your home games, and you know Ireland is crucial for Scotland. But they're they're very well capable. I looked through the teams there over the weekend and the fixtures, and you're kind of going, Jesus! Everyone has a chance here. How important is it for us in that Scotland game to lay down a marker for what's coming? What, does it bear any relationship between the game that's going to happen in the World Cup? Like if we if we hammer them in Scotland now, are they shell shocked by the time the World Cup comes around? If we if we lose that game, are we suddenly at risk of losing the game? We we totally are. If Scotland beat us in Scotland, they could easily beat us in Japan. Yeah, it'll be massive psychologically, I think, um, and it does have an effect. If if Scotland beat Ireland again, that they go well two years in the trot or two years uh, in in Murrayfield, we've beaten them and. It would have an effect psychologically for their preparation going to the World Cup, and it would probably dent Ireland a little bit. That's if they could, if Scotland get another win, they can say, "Well, we have their measure. We know how to to rattle them a little bit." But the flip side of it, I think, if Ireland win, it still makes Scotland a really, really dangerous threat at the World Cup. It'll be a different game. So, bar Ireland win by. 20, 30 points, which won't happen, or Scotland beat him. They're the two scenarios that that psychologically will have an effect. Okay, I'm going to ask you briefly about Wales and um, France in a minute, but uh, here's Keith Earls chatting to the media this week, talking about the form of Stockdale and how Joe Schmidt will approach Saturday's game. Have a look. 
Yeah, and he's he's doing it with Ulster as well. So you know, it's it's great to see him carry on that form. You know that it it wasn't just a kind of was a, a first se- season thing. Uh, uh, I know people talk about second season syndrome, and everyone gets to know you, and teams start to mark up on you. But he seems to keep doing it. So it, it's great to see him in the form he's in. Um, especially he had a bit of an injury start to the season, and he's just exploded again. So it's great to see that. Keith, it's um, Joe last year, obviously in charge of Ireland. We know how determined he is to win games. Do you get a sense that he's even more so this year because it is his last year in charge? Yeah, no, and Joe's always been driven to, to win a game. I, I don't even think Joe's thinking about past England, never mind what he's going to do after his, his widows. Like he's, he's always driven and he's he's driven a lot of us to win every game as well and be the best we can be so it's 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 no different than Joe's side either Yeah we haven't had a, a going away party for Joe Schmidt yet just yet even though he's gone away it's like this is the last time he's ever going to play England at, uh, at the Aviva Yeah I, it's it's a strange one he'd be missed but yeah, like I like he said I think he, you're judged on what happens now as well unfairly yeah. sometimes and he'll really want to start well on Saturday just get get a win on the board, it's a really tough start for Ireland. England at home, yeah. Um, you can't ease your way what into this tournament. Uh, and Scotland, first game, just yeah, to, Scotland know. away then as well. So it's it's a really tough start from. Um, people find it very hard to separate France and Wales. That game's a pick them at the moment. What like what's your take on that? It depends what France turns up. You know they have undoubted talent. Um, they'll have some new players in the in the squad. A lot of Toulouse players who've performed really well this year in Europe. Albeit although they. They got smothered in Dublin when they came here. Dupont is a great player. He's one I'm looking forward to seeing. Intimac, will he play in the 12 role? I thought he was until I saw him in in, in Dublin. And not quite at his dad's level yet, is he? He's not the biggest man. He's a real playmaker, but he can, you know, if 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 he if they get enough of ball, they can be very very dangerous. So it depends what France are there. Brunel is under pressure. They lost against Fiji in November. Um, I think if he's a bad Six Nations, they could he could be gone. They could oust him, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we'll wait and see. Wales, on the other hand, have kind of kept a low profile. I don't know. Do you make a conscious decision to do that? But I Gatland think has to take. They had a really good decision. November. They're on a really good winning streak, and he'll be confident um, of them doing well, and they believe and they perform well in the Six Nations. So they're a serious threat, but. If they want to win the championship, I think they've got to win in Paris on Friday night, Wales, um, because, and then they've England at home. They've Ireland, England and yeah. Ireland in, in this is Cardiff, their year. so they'll, they love they'll, those years. they'll sniff one for sure. All right, good stuff, Alan. Thanks for that. We'll uh, talk a bit more about that rugby across the course of the week, obviously. Now, yesterday afternoon, some members of Team Off the Ball, including Kevin Kilbane, were split into two teams for a charity five-a-side match for the Irish Heart Foundation. It was the Dubs versus the rest of Ireland, a.k.a. the Colchies. Uh, which is a time-honoured tradition in Ireland training camp. The teams were managed by John Giles and Brian Kerr, so here are the gaffers previewing the action. We're streaming the game later on today across Off the Ball. Keep an eye out for it. All right, guys, we're here today to support the Irish Heart Foundation. It's going to be a very, very competitive match. John, every Thursday night you're telling us how football should be played. What's, yeah. your, what's going to be your message to the Dubs team? Get stuck in. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Get after the ball when you haven't got it and use it as best you can when you have it. That's the, that's the basics from, that I learned when I was a kid. 
what about the players out there who don't have the skill level to uh, keep hold well, of the ball? They can only do their best, Nathan. I mean, like when you play, man, Brian would know, any team you manage, all you're asking is for them to do their best. Sometimes you have great players, sometimes you don't have great players, but uh, do your best is you don't have to be a great player. Brian, what's the plan? What's the tactical master plan? Well, I'm looking at the team I have, and there's a lot of fellas on the, who talk a great game, John, when I hear them on the radio or I see them on the telly. <laughs> So I'm going to put it up to them today and let them show me and everyone else what they can do when they have the ball, how good the decision makers they are when they have it, um, how well, how good their skill levels are, how clever they are tactic- tactically when the opposition have the ball. Expectations are low, I have to say. Brian Kerr is putting it up to, um, he was managing the Colchies, was he? Yes. Yeah, he was, yeah. So, Colchies versus the Dubs live across all our social channels from 1 o'clock this afternoon. You can just see in John Giles' eyes the kind of side eyes given to Brian Kerr. I want to kill this guy. I want to crush this guy and destroy every fibre of his being. I am the best manager in this room. You, I want to win this. you obviously are um, an aficionado of the uh, Puck Fair in Kilorgland, which would make you effectively king of the Colchies. I mean, rumour has it you've married that goat on several occasions. So why weren't you playing for the Colchies team yesterday? Pretty offensive. Um, I just wasn't around. I, uh, I was I was on a job yesterday afternoon, so unfortunately uh, they they missed they missed my services. Uh, you were cheating on us last night, though. I can't believe it. This uh, news broke across uh, another media company's <laughs> uh, social channels that you were you were sleeping with the enemy. What, what enemy? You made your you made your debut on Radio Kerry's Terrace Talk they're last not, night. Uh, enemies, they're uh, friends of ours, and uh, yeah, I did gave, gave my hot takes on. Kerry's win over Tyrone. Yada 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 yada. That was that's all we we tuned in and all we could hear was yada 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 yada. That was all we heard. Oh, it, it goes fuzzy between every station, and then when it gets Radio Kerry, the fuzz just turns to yara yara yara. Um, no, I, I think once you're in the company of your own people, you are safe enough to actually think, say what you really think. Yeah. Uh, so there was in. And you got top billing ahead of ahead of Tomal Sachet. If I'm Tomal Sachet's <laughs> agent, I'm on straight away going, hang on a second here, yeah, hang on a second here. Who's this chump? That is uh, that is a bit unfair on on Tomas O'Shea. Uh, I don't I don't know why I got top billing there. I was I was on a quarter past six. It was it was it was good fun giving my uh, giving my takes, giving uh, away little nuggets of information as well, which I actually forgot to give on off the ball yesterday morning. There was something oh yeah, that came oh yeah, you kept the good stuff back for your for your carry phone. It actually turned out I was coming away from the studio yesterday. I was like, oh yeah, there was a couple of nuggets that I picked up. Um, basically, if, if you want to, will I rehash them? I mean, come on. Just, uh, There's nothing like your sloppy seconds from uh, Radio Kerry. Yeah, I know. Uh, kind of like the goat. Um, no, that, let's not go there ever again. Um, the, the puck fair comment was actually very offensive. Anyway, the, <laughs> the two things that I said yesterday was, A, uh, anybody who's worked with this Kerry manager, Peter Keane, knows that he likes to play three midfielders. So uh, the audition that's going on in midfield at the moment is a, could actually be an audition for a half-forward spot, so expect to see a big man wearing 10 or 12 uh, throughout the summer. And the second thing was, how much of a defensive game plan was this? Was it just a one-off for Tyrone? Well, I've heard it on good authority that their challenge game against Leash the previous week also featured a very defensive game plan. That being said, they kicked 22 scores in that challenge game, so uh, it worked out. attack Exactly. Wave motion. Wave motion, exactly. On tomorrow's show, we've got uh, Darren Cave, we'll have football, Annalise Murphy uh, tomorrow morning from 7.45. Big night in the Premier League, we get to see if a little bit of history gets made for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, so we'll keep an eye on that. Burnley at home, if you were going for a record, that's who you'd pick now, isn't it? Jose Mourinho would have been like, Burnley, tough game. They've come here before, they've caused us trouble. Now it's like, yeah, we're going to roll over Burnley 3-4-0. Yeah, I, w- I would say so. I'd be surprised if they didn't uh, beat the man, keep a clean sheet tonight. Yeah. All right, that's coming up on tomorrow's show. If you want to get involved in the show, you can always tweet us at Off the Ball or at Off the Ball AM for the specific uh, Twitter feed for the show. 
And of course, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. But uh, the best place to watch us in the mornings now is our shiny new website, offtheball.com. You can just hit the listen or the watch button. It opens up for you and uh, you can go about the rest of your day's business and just listen to us like a radio show. It's the future. It's coming your way and it's right here, right now. See you tomorrow. Good luck. So, if you like this, you'll probably also like OTB AM, Ireland's only sports breakfast show. Subscribe to the OTB AM podcast stream or catch the show live on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook or offtheball.com every morning from 7.45 a.m.